So the series that we're concluding this week is um, the sons of the father. Abraham, the father of the whole of the nation of Israel, and Jacob, the grandson, Isaac in the middle. We've been looking at the life of Isaac and Jacob, and we're coming to the end of the story of Jacob in this particular section this afternoon. And um, what you've noted, what you will have noticed, is um, that doesn't actually Jacob doesn't actually end here. In fact, Jacob continues to feature in various aspects of the narrative from here on in. But in a real sense, this is the end of the focus on Jacob. This is the point at which. Uh, and this is really remarkable that we find continually through the Bible, although we're understanding life together and our life before God through the lives of others who have gone before, it's not as though the whole of their life is, you know, beginning to end is the critical story. Rather, it's the continuing story of God through the lives of these people. And the the narrative shifts at this point. So where we took over from uh, Isaac, right near the very beginning of this series, and started looking at Jacob, we noticed that Isaac hadn't actually died at that point. But Jacob becomes the focus. Jacob becomes the focus for all that we've worked through over these past few weeks. Uh, And then the sons of Jacob become the focus. So it shifts. But the, the main point of that really is that it's not about the, the men and women of the narrative. It's about the work of God that is going on through their lives, which is the critical aspect. And so what we're going to see is, in a sense, the end of Jacob, although it's not the end of Jacob, but it's the end of the focus of the narrative uh, uh, regarding him specifically. Let's have a look at the very beginning then. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. It's as though if we've been working through this, this this is like the bracket at the other end of his life. We came into the story of Jacob at a point where we saw the early life, we saw the crisis with his brother, we saw him disappearing off as he he escaped the wrath of his brother, fled for his life, and we see God appearing to him at Bethel, and now we see God speaking to him again and saying, go back to Bethel. And that's kind of, that's the brackets, that's the narrator saying, Here's the warning, here's the kind of, the message to you that this is the end of the Jacob bit. He's going back to Bethel. This is the summing up of the life of this man. It's the end, in one sense, of his life story as far as you and I are concerned. The journeyer finally makes his way back to Bethel. And the summing of his life is concluded. What completes a life? What sums up a life? It's an interesting question that, isn't it? I guess most people 
don't really, we just get on with life most of the time, don't we? You know, have you really thought what's going to sum up your life? We just get on with life, you know. What, what's on the agenda for tomorrow? Massive diversity uh, of agendas tomorrow, I guess, in a gathering like this. But we've all got something on tomorrow, which will just start another week. And then we'll roll on to another week and another week. And, and in a few weeks' time, we'll be thinking about Christmas and all the rest of it because school holidays are over and, nine, and 1914, 2014 will be kind of over and there's another year gone and, and we just roll on through life, don't we? Do we ever stop and say, what, what makes a life a life of value and a life of worth? What makes a life something to have lived? The narrator is at least suggesting to us this. I, I've taken you on a story of the life of this man. He's an older man by now. He's actually, if we, were, if we went back to week before last, we've, we've seen Jacob come back from Padam Aram to the place where God had promised him the land. And now we see he's sending him to go to Bethel. He's actually been in this land for around about 15 years. He's, he's returned for about 15 years at this point. And what we actually see is the narrator has decided there are these aspects in the life of this man which I'm going to gather together and I'm going to inform you of, under the power of God, under the authoritative guidance of God in the constructing of his word, these are the key aspects of the life of Jacob, which are preserved for millennia for you and I. What is key in the life of Jacob? Well, we've seen all sorts of things. We've seen him fall out relationally. We've seen a crisis in his family. We've seen all sorts of difficulties. We've seen oppositions. We've seen fear. We've seen him, him twisting and conniving and deceiving to try to get his way. We've seen him wrestling with God. We've seen him coming back face to face with his brother and being reconciled. We've seen his family growing. What connects all of those different aspects of his life? What makes sense of it? What makes sense of it, as we see the narrative constructed, is that God is involved and driving and shaping all of those aspects of his life. Every little incident is this tapestry that the narrator is constructing which says, this is Jacob. And what's important, as far as you are, and I are concerned, is how his relationship is with God. That's what makes his life. And in that sense... Our lives couldn't be more different in one sense to the life of Jacob. You know, none of us, as far as I am aware, are traveling around and living in tents made out of animal skins. 
I don't think there's anybody in here who's doing that. We have technology. We have amazing capabilities. But in another sense, all of that, every aspect of that is temporary, isn't it? All of that will pass. In the same way as the animal skin tents passed and the lying with his head on a stone passed. But what remained for Jacob was his relationship with God. That was key. That was the eternal dimension of Jacob's life. And the same goes for you and me. So in summing up your life and my life, in looking back at the various incidents, perhaps even in looking at the very fact that we are here this afternoon in this place, perhaps we are even surprised to be in this place this afternoon. What we are finding throughout all of that in different ways, in different uh, shaping influences, is that God is dealing with all of us. And what is critical to sum up our lives is how we respond to that God. That's what brings fulfillment. That's what brings clarity. That's what brings definition to our lives. Everything else, everything else is passing. Everything else is temporary. But our relationship with God is the eternal permanent dimension. So what do we see of Jacob in this life? In all of the things that he's been through, where have we finally got to? The first thing I want to say is this. I think we can finally say that Jacob is able to say, I am yours to God. He's finally able to say, I am yours. Look at what happens in verse 2. God speaks to him, says, go to Bethel. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes, then come let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. They are some of the most incredible words from any individual. Let's go backwards, shall we? Let's work through what he says in, in reverse order. The first thing he says is, I now recognize that throughout my life, in every twist, in every turn, in every high, in every low, God has been with me. I wonder whether Jacob would have been able to say that when he was by himself fleeing for his life. God's, God appeared to him. I wonder whether he would have been able to say that truly when he was absolutely terrified at the prospect of Esau with his 400 men coming down to take his life and the life of all of his family. 
But now he is able to stop and to say, I look back now and I really know in every aspect of my life, God has been with me. You know, the reality is sometimes it is only our personal experiences that finally take us to that point. It's only personal experiences where we're able to look back and say, it's true, it's true, God is with me. But the wise thing... The wise thing for us to do is to look on at others who are able to say that and say, if they say it, and I haven't yet experienced it, then I believe it because I experience it through them. See, that's what the narrator is saying as well. He's saying Jacob finally gets it. He finally gets that God has been with him all the time. Will his sons get it? Will his children get it? Well, the next incident, actually, in the life of Jacob is that his his son Reuben sleeps with his concubine, Bilhah. And the kind of, the opposition of those two events is so incredibly powerful in the narrative. It's as if to say, Jacob's finally got it. What about the sons? Oh, they're off on this exactly the same pathway. Exactly the same pathway as the father went on, of not really understanding, of trying to create power and authority of themselves. You see, they don't look at Jacob and say, straight away I can see where God has dealt with my father, therefore I'm going I'm to commit myself to that same God. They don't get it. But Jacob now does. And he's able to say, God has been with me. And the... the The right response to that, therefore, is to go and to worship God in Bethel and also and critically to strip himself of all of those idols which have been part of his family community to this point in time. That is fantastically interesting, isn't it? You see, we kind of, we see Jacob. And we've got this idea of Jacob as being this larger-than-life, great hero of the people of God, this one who's, who's kind of lived it out. And the reality is he's been leading a family which is still holding on to the foreign gods that were taken by his wife, Rachel, when she left her father, Laban. If you remember the incident... She takes the gods of, La- of her father Laban as if to say, I'm going I'm to kind of double up and, uh, um, and hedge my bets. I'm not really going to trust this God Yahweh, this God of Jacob. I'm going to pinch my father's gods as well. And I'm gonna, they're going to be my kind of my, um, my backup bet, just in case. And for all of this period of time, for 15 or 16 years, (laughs) for 15 or 16 years, the gods of Laban have continued to have a featuring power in the life of Jacob and his family. And it is finally where he says, right, that's it. Get rid of them. Let's bury them. And he speaks to all of them and they, I mean, the way that the narrative writes, it seems as though it's not just those gods that were taken. It seems as though this is a, 
he's now leading a, a big family, a big, diverse, broad family. The implication of the narrative is the attitude of Rachel has spread into others, and there's this significant gathering of all of the gods that they've been holding on to, and they gather them together and they bury them, and it is finally done with. The idols that have been holding on to little bits of their affection, that's what idols do, don't they? That's what their things in our lives, which we, which we hold on to, which we kind of say, well, I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe in Jesus, but, but I'm going to hedge my bets, you see. I, I, I believe that he can give me a life which is actually filled with a richness of knowing him in spite of all of the ta- difficulties and the trials, but I'm going to hold on to all of these other things, which I am also going to invest my time and my affection and my love into. I'm going to back them as well, because I don't believe that he can give me everything. And God is gracious enough and long-suffering enough and patient enough with Jacob and his family to keep chipping and beating and bashing away until finally their fingers say, let go. I don't need to hold on to these anymore. They can no longer satisfy me. I understand now that it is only God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Isaac, the God who has revealed himself, the God who speaks, the God who lives, he's the only one who will satisfy. So we bury them. So we bury the idols. But there's another interesting comment there as well. There's something else that they do. You see, the other thing that they do, they also take away their earrings and they bury them. So at the end of the service, we're going to have a collection. Why not? Why don't we have a bucket that says all of your earrings, boys and girls, collect them together? Why not? The point that's being made is this. The earrings that they are wearing, at the time that they are wearing them, carry a significance which is beyond just nice earrings. They are a statement. They go alongside the idols. They're a way of saying who I am. It's a statement of belief. It's a badge of identity. It's a a statement of the kind of beliefs that I have. In the culture that they were living in at that moment in time, they carried profound significance. They said something. And therefore it was right and it was appropriate for them to get rid of the things that were saying that they were not fully committed to this God, but they were holding on to those other things as well. So get rid of them. So here's the thing. 
How does that work out for us today? I think in exactly, exactly the same way. I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to jump off, off the kind of margins, jump straight into really deep, very hot water, and just say, let's go with this one. Here's my example. And it's tattoos. Hey, let's get into something tricky, shall we? Is it all right to get a tattoo? As far as I'm concerned, absolutely. If you want to kind of go and do something daft like that, you carry on. Fill your boots. But the thing is this. Maybe there was a time when it was inappropriate. When the statement that was being made was culturally, according to the world that we were living in, at that point in time, it was inappropriate. Do you see the way culture shifts? Do you see the way things change? I don't know, there's no way we're going to say don't wear earrings. Equally, there's no way that we're going to say don't get a tattoo. But there are things which continue to be cultural statements which believers in Jesus need to be really smart and really sharp and say, hang on a minute, this is making a statement of my identity which in the culture that I am living in today is contrary to what I claim in terms of faith. And we don't think about that enough. We don't address that enough. And we don't say, hang on, stop. This isn't just a kind of cool thing to do. This is making a statement culturally of who I am. And therefore, it is right that I take the time and I effectively, in in real terms, I guess, strip myself of those earrings, and I don't live according to the culture around me. That's the point that Jacob was making. Don't live like the Canaanites and Perizzites that we live with. Be different because we're God's people. And that's the point that Jacob is making. I'm yours is the statement. He's saying effectively in New Testament terms, I am betrothed to God. I am committed to God. We've just had a wedding in this past week and it's just reminded me again that amazing picture of the marriage of God's people to Jesus. And that day at the end of all of this world when the world ends and there is that picture of a wedding breakfast where the bride and the groom are married together and Jesus the groom takes on the bride his church but for all of that time all of that time until that marriage supper those who believe in Jesus are betrothed to Jesus that means that we are not free to live however we want to we live in a way which says, I am betrothed to him. I'm his. That's who I am. You know, I'm no longer mine. I am his. And it is a great place to be. I am betrothed to him. I am ready. I am waiting. I ain't perfect, but one day I will be. I'm yours. Second thing we see is God's grace. Look at verse 9. 
After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, which is where he was with his father-in-law, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. (laughs) If we've been following this pattern of the life of Jacob, and if we were in the place of God, I think most of us would have said, sack it. Let's find somebody else because this Jacob fella keeps blowing it. Every turn, every kind of few steps forward, the next thing, he's on his way back down. He's making a hash of it. He's messing up. He can't work out relationships. He can't follow me effectively. Let's go and find somebody else to work out the promise that I've made to the world. It is grace. And it is God's grace, and it is God's mercy, and it is God's kindness that doesn't work like that. God appears again to Jacob. That is mind-blowing. We just kind of read it, don't we? You say, God appeared to Jacob. That's great. Let's just stop a minute. First First people who gathered this together contained it in written form in one compiled letter was God's people going back into the promised land under Moses. What had Moses been told by God? You cannot see me and live. That's what God had told Moses. If you see me, you're going to die. And contained in this, this narrative, is that Jacob sees God and lives. It's mind-blowing. He sees God and lives. Grace for Jacob, the deceiver, the messed up, the one who doesn't stand on righteous principles when his daughter is raped in the previous chapter, the one who doesn't stand up for righteousness, the one who doesn't continually uphold that which is good. It is not him that is good. It's God that is good. It's the grace of God working out. Do you know that is so good, so good for us to know. That is so good for us to know that that's what God is like. Because I I don't know about you, but I know what I'm like. I know what my heart is like. I know that I stumble along in my faith, in reality. In reality, the the issues and the challenges of my own sinfulness, of my own challenge and difficulty to live the life that God would have me live, if, if, if it was dependent upon me being acceptable to God, I am a goner. I am finished. I have had it. I will never see God and live. I'll only see God and die if it was down to me. You see, John mentioned earlier that this amazing thought, this indescribable, uncontainable God, one day we're going to see face to face. So so what we read here is a real experience for every one of us at some point in the future. We're going to see God face to face. There are two ways in which we see God 
face to face. We either see God and live or we see God and die. That's, that's the point that he was making to Moses. If you're not righteous, you can't look at me and live. We either live or die when we see God. And I know in my state, by nature, by character, by who I am, if I see God, I'm a dead man, except for one thing, and one thing only, that God makes himself seen again in Jesus. That's where God is seen in this world dramatically, incredibly. The God that we see and we look at and when we say, I'm going to look at him with all of my hope and all of my trust, everything changes. And when I look at him, I see him and live. Why? Because of exactly the same reason as Jacob had. Because of grace. Because of God's willingness to pour out his wrath and judgment for my sin on Jesus so that Jesus looks to his father and dies. (laughs) And I look to his father and live through Jesus. By looking at Jesus, we live because of grace. It's a remarkable thing. That Jesus is the ultimate safe revelation of God. He is the safe revealing of God. He's the way that all of us can look and live. In fact, that's what he says, doesn't he? Look at me and live. (laughs) Not look at me and die. Look at me and live. I am the way to be safe in seeing God. So we've seen two things. I'm yours. We see that looking at God, we can live. And finally, we see this idea of what it is to be a believer in God. Now, but not yet. Now, but not yet. God said to him, verse 10, Your name is Jacob, but you'll no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. If, if you kind of switched on to the way this narrative is working out, that's really interesting because God has already said that to him when he wrestled with him. He's already named him Israel once. And then he carries on in the narrative being called Jacob. And then he calls him Israel again. He says, your name will be Israel. Later on, he's called Jacob. Again. In fact, later on in the narrative, he's called Jacob again and again and again. What's going on? He is something. He is that. He is Israel. He is that. He's the father of the nation. He's the one who is going to be the blessing on the whole of the world through this nation, Israel. But you know, he's still Jacob. (laughs) He's kind of still that guy who's going along. He's Jacob and Israel. He's that, but not yet. You know, later on, he becomes known as Israel, through Israel. How does that relate to you and me? 
There's something that Jesus says, something that God says, rather, through, through John, regarding Jesus. When, he, when John is in the first, uh, got, for his gospel, gospel of John, he's describing what it means for Jesus to come into the world. What does it actually mean for us? How, how does it work? Uh, And he says this right at the very beginning in chapter 1 and verse 12 of the Gospel of John. He says this. This idea he then works out through the rest of that Gospel. He says this. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I believe along with a lot of other people here this afternoon, I believe in Jesus. That is my public statement, confession to you. I believe in Jesus. That doesn't mean that I believe he existed, although it does mean that. It doesn't mean simply that I believe he lived and died and rose again. It means this. I believe the things that he taught. I believe who he is. I believe that when he says that if I trust in his work, then I will live. I believe that when he says that if you believe in me in that way, you have a new name effectively. You have a new name. I am born with a certain family name. That's because I am a child of that family. But this verse says, I've become a child of God. I have been adopted into a new family. That means I bear a new family name. I will one day fully receive that family name in Jesus when I see him face to face. But right now, I bear the name of Jesus as my family. I am a child of God. I belong to him. You see, the thing is, for the rest of life, I'm just going to be Paul Howell. (laughs) You see, it's now, but not yet. It's true, but it's not fully seen. It's absolutely guaranteed, but it's not fully worked out yet. That's the way it was for Jacob and for his his status as Israel. It's true. The promise I've made to you, Jacob, is absolute. But you're going to die an old man with your family around you. And it won't look particularly special, but the promise is is true. There have been a countless number of people who have said, I believe in that Jesus. And they've died a host of different deaths. Some hardly noticed. Some in dramatic final stages. They've all, they've all left this life. But the reality and the truth of it is that in believing in Jesus, the not yet is as guaranteed 
as the now. They truly are children of God. I say are because they live. And that is the promise that we see through the grace of God, by the power of Jesus in the life of Jacob. Ultimately, what makes him as a man? What makes, what defines him? He was able to say, I believe and I trust in this God. That's who I trust in. All of this life, it's been different aspects of him dealing with me. Do you view that? Do you view every aspect of life as God dealing with you in one way or another? Or is it that employer or that event in the economy or whatever else it is? Is it that or is it something bigger going on? Is it God dealing with you, constantly calling you, saying, follow me, trust in me, believe in me. I give you the invitation to become children of God. Or will we do what Esau did? And just say, no, I'm going to get on with life. 